today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. God is desiring and God is doing everything that he can to work in you and I relationship. Relationship as as a bride to her husband, as a child to their father, that kind of a relationship where we don't serve God out of fear, but we serve God out of love, just simply out of obedience to the, the love that we have for the greatness of all the things that he's done within our lives, for the greatness of who he is. And so throughout this message of judgment and destruction and doom that we see here in Hosea, we find this continual message of redemption, this continual message of reconciliation. Whenever we received discipline or stern warnings from our parents as children, it probably didn't feel as though they were doing so out of love. However, as we look back with hindsight, we're often quick to recognize that it was because they loved us that they did so in the first place. In today's message, Pastor David will remind you that God's desire for us is to grow in love and relationship. In his study, you'll learn how God will sometimes use trials or struggles in our lives to get us back on track should we lose our way. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Hosea chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Adulterous Bride. God says that he'll hedge up her way with thorns. And in verse 6 of chapter 2, he'll wall her in so that she cannot find her paths. She'll chase her lovers but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then it was better for me than now. That perhaps if he keeps her from getting the pleasure and the sustenance from these outside lovers, from these, uh, from from the the the, the pagan uh, practices and the worship of the nations around, that maybe then Israel would realize, man, I need to go back to the one true God, because He is the one. He is the fullness of the answer that I need in my life. As a matter of fact, God declares that He will literally woo her to himself once again. Look down in verse 14. He says, therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and I'll speak comfort to her. She doesn't deserve all that. What she deserves is punishment and chastisement. I love the grace and the mercy of God. I love the abundance of the grace and the mercy of God that long before he brings chastisement and punishment and that kind of a discipline, he declares his mercy and his grace and he woos us back to us. The word tells us that, Lord, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. He says, I'm going to bring her into the wilderness, speak comfort to her. Verse 15, I will give her her vineyards from there in the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth. 
down in verse 16. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. Think about that for a moment. Do you realize the difference of a relationship there that suddenly comes about? It's not my master. It's my husband. He's not just the God of discipline and structure and striving. He's my father. He's I've got that kind of a relationship. That's what he's seeking for his children. And that's what he's showing us here in his relationship as he's giving this story of, of, of Hosea and Gomer. Look down in verse 19. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Down in verse 23. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. Beloved, God is looking, God is desiring, and God is doing everything that he can to work in you and I relationship. Relationship as as a bride to her husband, as a child to their father. That kind of a relationship where we don't serve God out of fear, but we serve God out of love just simply out of obedience to the love that we have for the greatness of all the things that he's done within our lives, for the greatness of who he is. And so throughout this message of judgment and destruction and doom that we see here in Hosea, we find this continual message of redemption, this continual message of reconciliation. Jump over to the last chapter, chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 1. Oh, Israel, return to the Lord your God. For you stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously. For we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We'll not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our gods. For in you, the fatherless finds mercy. And once again, God's work of mercy is, is, is grace. Is declaring, he's going to declare it to them. Look what he says in verse 4. God's speaking to them. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned away from him. I will be like the dew to Israel. Down in verse 8, Ephraim shall say, What have I to do anymore with idols? I have heard and observed him. I am like the green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. Beloved, that everyone who comes to the Lord, everyone who today knows the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior, would finally come to that point in their life where they can literally draw that line. Say, why in the world would I go back into the world? 
I know that there is nothing in the ways of the world or the ways of the flesh that are going to give me any kind of consistency of pleasure, any kind of depth of fulfillment, but that all of those things bring destruction. And I know that when I come to God and when I lay myself before him, fruit of his is going to be shown and lived and, 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 and growing in my life. That we would, each believer, come to that point of drawing that line and saying, man, thus far, no more. I don't want to go back there anymore. I, 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 I don't want to taste the, the, the fruit of the world. I don't want to taste the, the sweet nectar of the, of, of, of the things of the flesh. I want to taste the sweetness of God in my life daily and moment by moment in my life. This message, oh, let me finish verse nine. I like going back to the Lord speaking. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and the righteous walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. Message of Hosea. Again, it's once again kind of solidifies the truth that we found in Ezekiel. You don't need to turn there, but Ezekiel 33, verse 11 writes, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? That's the very thing that we see here in the book of Hosea. God pleading with them to come back, come back, come back. Just as he pleads today with every erring child, everyone who has ever made a a commitment to Christ and has allowed the world to stumble them up and to distract them and pull them off course and to bring a detour in their life, he's saying, come back to me. Why should you continue in that way? Come back and live. Around the same time that Hosea was writing, about the same time as the fall of the the northern kingdom, God was speaking in a very, very similar message through another prophet, the prophet Micah, okay? So if you're in Hosea, go to the right, go past Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and Jonah, and you will get to Micah. Or just turn to page 737. That's what I've got here. So, Right past Jonah. And Jonah's a pretty short book. The book of Micah. About the only thing that we know about Micah is that he came from the town of Moresheth, uh, or actually more properly it was Moresheth Gath. It was a town located about 25 miles to the southwest of Jerusalem, primarily an agricultural area. It was right there on the borderline of uh, Philistia, uh, the Philistines from Gath. Does anybody remember anybody in any of the Old Testament that we spoke about of somebody, a Philistine person from Gath, guy that was like really, really tall. They got a really bad headache one time. In fact, that was the last headache he ever got. Yeah, Goliath knows from that area. So here we find Micah's from that area. 
okay? We find in the first verse that his message is to, to both Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom Israel, and to Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom, Judah. Both of them were, were guilty of very, very similar sins against God, okay? And so once again, we see in Micah's prophetic word, both the, the soon coming judgment, and he also brings in here a, a, a coming worldwide judgment. As we read in, in chapter one, look down in verse uh, three and four, pretty clear picture of that final judgment at the end of the days, God coming against the whole world. Micah chapter one, down in verse three. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. Well, that's much more than just a local judgment. This is, again, we we see that prophetic message of speaking of something near and close as well as something that's even greater at, at a further distance. Quickly, he he describes it uh, about the local judgment. In verse 5, he says, All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Now, this is a particular issue with prophecy. Again, sometimes it's very clear what's being spoken, but often you need to have a a, a pretty good overall understanding of of God's word and and God's plans and purposes. To just read that, it might not make a whole lot of sense. Here in, in Micah, we see both this near prophecy as well as the distant prophecy. We find in Micah's message, Charges against both Judah, the southern kingdom, and Israel, the northern kingdom, because of their continued practices uh, uh, of this pagan worship. And as a matter of fact, it sounds very reminiscent of what we just read in Hosea. Look down in verse 7. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, and all her pay as what? As a harlot shall be burned with fire. All her idols I will lay desolate, for she gathered it from the pay of a harlot, and they shall return to the pay of a harlot. So very similar as far as God's viewpoint through these two men, uh, these two prophets as they proclaim this message. And yet much of the message that God gives to Micah is his anger toward those actually that are taking advantage of the poor and the powerless, as bad as this foreign worship is, and the pagan worship, because of that, their whole lives are messed up. That's one of the things you, you and I need to understand. If we don't have things right vertically, we'll not be right horizontally. Uh, we can look at our governments, we can look at uh, all the policies that our governments can make, but you know what? If our country isn't right vertically with God, we're not going to be right horizontally. We're going to see abuse of women. We're going to see hatred and, and bigotry. We're going to see division on every hand. Why? Because we're not right vertically. So how can I be right with my brother? 
or with my sister if I can't be right with God. And that's exactly what's going on here in both of these nations, in both Israel and in Judah. Look over in chapter 2. He's speaking to these two cities, to Samaria and to Jerusalem, and these are the capitals. These are the, the power centers for each one of these nations. And they, Samaria and Jerusalem, they had the power, they had the authority to do things right for the poor and for the powerless. But again, it looks like from what Micah is saying, that's the very area where the oppression is, is literally coming from. Micah chapter two. Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light, they practice it because it's in the power of their hand. In other words, they have the authority to do this evil and it's coming right out of their hands. They covet fields and they take them by violence. Also houses and and seize them. And so they oppress a man and his house, a, a man and his inheritance. It's interesting that we'd be going over this portion of the passage just a few days before tax day is here. But uh, I don't know as that has anything to do with this at all. We'll move on. Okay. Verse 9. The women of my people you cast out from their pleasant homes. From their children you've taken away my glory forever. The oppression is on the people because the nation itself is so far from God. Jump with me, if you would, to to chapter 3. And I said, hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil? And then he goes on with some real strange descriptions here. You strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin from them, break their bones, and chop them in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron. Wow. God is getting very descriptive in how the leadership is treating the people of the nation. And beloved, I again submit to you, the whole reason that's going on is because the whole nation has moved so far from God. Now, I don't believe that literally that was happening, although we do know that in Jerusalem, during the siege of the Babylonians, that again, cannibalism did take place. We understand that. But I don't think that that's the picture what Micah is giving here. I believe that this is, again, just a, a hyperbole of, of, of the events. Man, you, you are literally destroying the people by the choices, by what you're doing to them. Look down in verse 9. And again, he's, he's talking to the rulers. He's talking to the, those, those in leadership positions. Verse 9, now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. And yet they lean on the Lord and say, oh, is not the Lord among us? Why, no harm can come to us. They felt that because God had taken them out of Egypt and called them his people, 
that in essence they could get away with anything. And the problem comes in the Christian community when we believe the same thing. I prayed that prayer back years and years ago. I'm saved. I can live any way that I want. Beloved, God's not going to be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. And God's not going to be mocked when we take either lightly a true commitment or what we made wasn't really a commitment at all, but just the mouthing of words. Verse 12, therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. Definitely judgment's coming. As far as Israel, uh, Assyria was just right around the corner, just, just a couple of years from the time that Micah is writing here. They had already, again, started attacking in the outskirts. Very soon, the northern kingdom was going to fall, 722 B.C. For Judah, the judgment was held off for another 120 years ago. 586 was the final downfall, but even before that, in 590s, they were beginning the, 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 the attack of the Babylonians and the taking away of the captives like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we looked at just a couple of weeks ago. So again, in the midst of all of this coming judgment, all of this destruction, the, uh, again, we see the amazing uh, factor of God's grace and God's mercy because in the midst of all of this, God still comes and he offers a ray of hope. Not for the wicked, But for those that have been caught up in that overall judgment, even in that overall judgment and the wickedness of the land, and yet there were some, even in the midst of that, that had remained faithful to the Lord. A remnant, if you will, and as we've shared, as we've gone through these Old Testament studies, God has always had a remnant. In the worst of times, even after the birth of the church, through the dark ages, through the the perversities that in the name of the the church that took place uh, around our world, God still had a remnant of true believers. And we see this here. Just as in the opening verses, Micah tells us that at the Lord's coming, the mountains are going to melt under him and the valleys are going to split like wax before the fire. He now find in chapter 4, a time of redemption and restoration. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. These these things that had melted before at his coming are going to be restored. And people shall flow to it. Many nations, verse 2, many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So here also we find this, this, this covering and this blessing that's going to come upon those that have been oppressed during this time. Look down in verse 6, still chapter 4. In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame. I will gather the outcast and those whom I have afflicted, even those that he's afflicted. You catch what's going on? There are are some that are going to be afflicted because they were disobedient. 
That's all we have time to share today, but we're so glad you've joined us. Isn't the Bible a fascinating book to read? There's incredible historical events, crazy scenarios, and a variety of people to keep you intrigued along the way. We hope you'll continue to join us here on The Open Word as Pastor David takes you through the Bible. If what you heard today sparked your interest and you'd like to know more about faith and even who God really is, please contact us. We'd love to talk more with you and share some even more incredible news about your future and the one who can change it, Jesus. Give us a call at 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If social media is a part of your life, you can connect with us there too. Come like our Facebook page and keep up to date with what's happening at The Open Word and Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find a link to our website, theopenword.com. Would you like to hear more messages from this series? Here's Pastor David to tell you how. Thanks, Chris. You know, any time you spend in God's Word is valuable. And I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. I know busy schedules can make that hard, but being able to listen to it could just change all that. All of the messages I've shared from the Bible here on The Open Word, they're available to you to listen to online at theopenword.com. Feel free to download them and even share them with anyone you think would benefit. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word. Make us more and more.